But this prayer in Daniel chapter 9 is a particularly stirring one in my view because of its aptness to our resolution, the resolution that brings us together on this Zoom call right now in united prayer. Many of us feel as if in our day the church is in exile. The gates of Jerusalem have been burned. And I think it's so important that the Lord's people know how to pray in such a time as ours. So let's begin reading in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, just start in verse 1. In the first year of the king of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. As we work through this prayer, we're not going to do the whole thing or in, in detail, we just can't. But I just want to draw two main observations about his prayer for our encouragement. So the first one is this, that scripture itself prompts prayer. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we can read that prophet's account of how he wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the surviving elders in Babylon, and he sent it out there. And these were the very words that Daniel read. We can read them ourselves. If we turn to Jeremiah 29, and uh, the whole letter is there, but I'm just going to read a few of these verses from 10 to 14, okay? As we read them together, I'd invite you to listen especially for the promises of God. So Jeremiah writes, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then these beloved, well-known verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Speaking, of course, about Jerusalem. So Daniel receives this scroll that's circulating among the exiles, or perhaps it was sent directly to him for further distribution. Daniel reads these six I will promises of the Lord, and then he acts in fulfillment of the you will call upon me, that promise. But back in Daniel chapter 9, I want you to notice with what intensity Daniel responds. Look at chapter 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That is serious stuff. The words turned my face, uh, or in, in King James translated, I set my face unto the Lord. It's a very multifaceted word, and it conveys, it includes the idea of inflicting himself. So Daniel inflicted his own heart in response to these promises of God. 
So you have this fascinating dynamic, see, where the Spirit of the Lord is prompting one prophet to send inspired promises to the people of God elsewhere in the land. And there, those promises prompt another prophet to act in obedient and passionate fulfillment of those very promises. Isn't that cool? Earlier this spring, I had uh, a delightful opportunity to meet with two others from United Prayer, but meet in person. It was kind of a serendipitous thing. And uh, in the course of conversation, we shared highlights of what we've been learning from United Prayer. And one of the sisters, I, I, I hope both of them are on this call, I'm not sure, but one of the sisters said, without hesitation, oh, it's praying God's promises. I've learned so much about that, and I've never understood it the way that I do now. Daniel saw God's promises, and the scripture prompted him to pray. That's a one, one observation. Second observation is that scripture empowers prayer. Look at how Daniel prays, and that's the following uh, chapter 9 of Daniel. Um, I just want to point out four aspects of his prayer real quickly without diving deeply into it. So first, he confesses from verses 4 and 5. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. How does he confess? We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Secondly, Daniel vindicates God from any wrongdoing. In verses 7 to 9, he says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, even uh, and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel fully owns his sin. And then thirdly, he prays, please, for mercy and for restoration in verses 16 to 17. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among the nations. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And then fourthly, lastly, I think this is so important. Daniel tells God what to do and why he should do it. This is amazing. Verses 18 to 19. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see. See our desolations, the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. Why? Why should you listen to this? Why should you do as I ask? For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Like a persistent widow before a judge, a magistrate, Daniel lays a case. 
he makes a case for how God should answer his prayer, but for God's own sake. Okay, so those are four aspects of his prayer, but I, I point those out simply to ask this question. Where did Daniel learn to pray so powerfully, so eloquently, so passionately? Well, the, the answer is he didn't just make this stuff up. He did not come up with this on his own. So the third scripture I want to look at is 1 Kings chapter 8, where the scripture records King Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. And in this prayer, Solomon lays out several scenarios in the future life of Israel and how prayer towards this newly built temple will play a part in those times. So in 1 Kings 8, starting in verse 46, he prays, If they, if Israel, sins against you, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Okay, that was precisely the scenario that Daniel recognized as he looked around him in his day. They were fulfilling this. Okay, so in that scenario, what happens? Verse 47, Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captor, saying, quote, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. Well, these are exactly the words that Daniel used to open his prayer. Remember when we looked at the confession? Verse 48. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you, toward their land, pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I've built for your name. Now we know from the book of Daniel that this man prayed three times a day in his chamber with his windows open towards Jerusalem. And now we know why. He was simply obeying and fulfilling this prayer. Verse 49, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who've sinned against you. This is the plea that Daniel made in Daniel chapter 9. And then finally, verse 51, for they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt. He reminds God of the Mosaic Covenant and tells him why he should act on this because these are your people, the people called by your name. So Daniel uses Solomon's prayer step by step, sometimes word for word. And I encourage you later on, take time to compare these two passages side by side. There's such richness in it. And this is not unusual in Scripture. You'll find this in other places. You can also compare, for example, Jonah's prayer from inside the fish with Psalm 116. So Jeremiah's prophet prompted Daniel to pray, but Solomon's prayer empowered his, his words and his prayer. I want to just close by drawing a couple encouragements from this for us all. Firstly, may this open our hearts and open our minds to forms of prayer. 
some of us on this call come from uh, liturgical tradition, some of us from a free-form tradition of prayer, and I'm just guessing most of us probably from the latter. But I want us to see great value in praying prayers that someone has prayed before. Don't discount those. Secondly, may it encourage any who are here who are hesitant to pray uh, or to pray aloud in a group simply to pray scripture. I have a Christian friend here who declares, I don't pray aloud in a group, just like a matter of fact. It's just part of who I am. <laughs> if that's you, or if that's a friend you know, I want this meditation to encourage you. Go to a prayer meeting and then just take up this book and take up, I don't know, for example, Psalm 103 and just take those words and make them your own. And you can pray, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. So brothers and sisters, that's it. May our souls know the full value of scripture in prayer, even as we pray together now. <clears throat> 